Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Um, this is kind of, um, I was asked, I, I, I was scheduled to speak Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, but Larry's fighting something in his body right now and could, wasn't able to, and he came in last night about, what, 7 o'clock and said, you're going to have to preach tomorrow. <laughs> I was not in that mode, so, uh, but I got there because the Bible says to be instant, in season and out, so um, I got there real fast. And this is kind of a, this is where I was hoping to go on Wednesday, but I was hoping I'd have a little more prep time, but I know God is faithful, and his word is alive and powerful, and so that's where I'm coming from. What I'm going to share tonight is, or this morning, (laughs) I'm ready to talk Wednesday night, what I'm going to share this morning um, is kind of uh, building on what I shared but three or four weeks ago, it, on a Wednesday night. So if you weren't here, you might want to check out the podcast or get the CD or something and listen to that later if you want. But um, I, God's really been dealing with my heart about the power of prayer and the need for the church to be a praying church. That's who he called us to be. He redeemed us to be a, a prayer army. And, um, boy, the songs this morning have just been so absolutely perfect uh, for the message that I have to share with you this morning. The first scripture I want you to look up and see is Isaiah 51, 11. Now, I, when I get started in what I call hit stride, a lot of times all the scriptures that I've been devouring just starts flowing and I don't I don't follow my notes I just get off onto the word and I'm quoting scripture or referring to scripture and I don't always have the reference at the ready so I left Johnny up there with a a (laughs) uh, told him to just try to follow me as best he could but this one I I gave him first so therefore I'm reading this out of KJV the Bible Paul used no (laughs) I read this out of King James because that's where I learned it, in King James. In fact, uh, we used to sing this. This was a song we sang in church, word for word, just what's here. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Now, I'll tell you something. If we just parked right there on Isaiah 51, 11, we could have church all day long because there is so much in that little passage, that one verse that tells us about what belongs to us as the redeemed. Now, this is an Old Testament scripture. It's really talking about God's people, Israel, but it very, very much applies to us, us also because we are the redeemed of the Lord. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
And it doesn't mean just going around saying, so. It means saying, I'm redeemed. You need to know that you're redeemed. You need to walk in your redemption and all that that encompasses. And this verse tells us a lot about what it encompasses. It says, first of all, they're going to come with singing. Now, so, um, you know, I, I have a, uh, I guess if I had anything, it would be a pet peeve, this would be it, that people say, well, I can't sing. You can sing because God says we're to come with singing. He didn't say you had to be an opera star or a rock star or a pop star or a country star. He said, just come with singing. That's part of our, uh, what we bring back into Zion. The Zion is another, well, it's a word for Israel, but it's also a word for the church. The spirit-filled, on-fire, alive church is called Zion. Over in Hebrews, it says, you've come to Mount Zion. You're not, you've not come to Mount Sinai where there's fire and smoke and law and fear. You've come to Mount Zion. That's where there's joy. And it talks about that here too. Everlasting joy. And I, in preparing for this, um, and I have other scriptures that I'm going to get to, I think, uh, but, but in preparing for this message, this kept rising up in me. We need some joy flowing in this church. What happened to it? I don't mean we have to be rolling on the floor all the time, okay? But you need to tell your face you're saved. You know what? Everybody, uh, just, just do this on purpose right now. Look up here and smile. Come on. You can do it. I know you can do it. You can sing and you can smile and do that every day. You just need to, on purpose, smile. It's good for your face. And it's also good for the people that you see. They'd much rather see a smile than a frown. And uh, you don't get near as many wrinkles, ladies, if you smile. And they they call them smile lines or laugh lines because they're different than frown lines. Anyway, we have everlasting joy, and we have singing, and then it says we'll obtain gladness and joy. There's that joy again. God said it twice in one verse. I think it's important, don't you? If he put that same thing in there twice for his redeemed, that we need it. We need it, we need it, we need it. Over in Nehemiah, uh, it tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so if you're feeling tired, run down, um, weak and weary, get a little joy in your life. It'll strengthen you. It'll give you strength to to stand. Because that's the title of my message, is Last Man Standing. And I'm not talking about Tim Allen. (laughs) last man standing. You ever hear that phrase? It's not a scripture, okay? (laughs) But it comes close. Um, I want you to turn over to the book of Job. Did I give you Job, Johnny? Okay, Job chapter 19. 
And this is, an, this is a great verse. Job, if you don't know this or not, it, his, that book is the oldest, probably the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. And in, in verse 25 of chapter 19, Job says this. Job, keep in mind, he went through a horrendous trial in his life. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost everything. And he was just sitting in an ash heap. And his wife was so upset with him, she said, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, and his friends came to comfort him, and they weren't very comforting at all because they were trying to explain to him why he was in this mess. And they didn't know why he was in this mess, really, any more than Job did. These were things that he didn't understand. And keep in mind, this was before... Abraham, this was before the law, this was before anything that, you know, God had, but yet Job somehow knew he had a redeemer. Because he says here in verse 25, I know that my redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And that's who I see, Jesus the last man standing. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Now, let me give you another picture of this. I'm hoping I gave you this one too. This is in the book of Zechariah. We probably don't turn to Zechariah very often. It's the next to the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. (laughs) And this is a prophecy about Jesus, about the Redeemer, about the last man standing. And listen to this. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, split right down the middle, the mountain. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Jesus comes down and puts his feet on that mountain, and the mountain splits in two. And then he talks about the people fleeing and and all this, you know, and you can read about the great battle in in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of scriptures about this, but this is a direct prophecy of him standing in the last day on the earth, literally. I really believe we're going to see that. I I don't think this is just a picture, but I also want you to see yourself in Christ because that's who we are. We are in Christ. We're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And you know what else? We're the army of the Lord. We have an assignment right now we're an occupying force in enemy territory we're sort of like aliens we're here legally because of the blood we're not illegal aliens we're aliens here bought with a price paid for by the blood and assigned to this planet to occupy until he comes back and we're to represent him 
And we're to flow in his name and in his power and in, in his unction and in his anointing. And we're to pray and speak his word in every circumstance of our life. Every circumstance. Prayer is our life force here. We, we, it's, it should be as natural to you in the spirit realm as breathing in the natural. You don't even have to think about breathing, do you? It's just an, what do they call it? Automic? No. (laughs) Automatic? No, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. But it's 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 a thing that happens in your body that you don't really have to think about. Just like your heart beating. Now, you can hold your breath. You can hold your breath for a while. Some people are able to hold their breath till they pass out. But you know what? As soon as they pass out, they're breathing again because their body just does that. And that's how the body of Christ ought to be with prayer. It should just be an automatic reflex in everything we do. We're praying about this and thanking God for that and praising Him for this. It's just our prayer. It's our language. The language of heaven, the language of heaven is faith and we can express it in prayer. Every prayer does not have to be a petition. We don't always have to be asking for something. We can be proclaiming something. We can be uh, prophesying even in prayer. We can be thanking him. It's not all about asking, asking, begging, begging. When we get into that mindset of prayer, we're not in faith anymore. We're just worms again. We're not worms. We're redeemed. And we should have everlasting joy. We need to get in his presence. Because what's in his presence? What? Fullness of joy. Exactly right. And and so when we get in his presence, we can get refilled with joy. That's in Psalm 16, by the way, if you want to write that down. It's Psalm 16, I think. In his presence is fullness of joy. But I want you to turn now to the book of Ephesians. I got a question while I'm while you're turning there. Does anybody remember what Lord means? Say it loud. Boss. Boss. <laughs> That's how I teach the kids what Lord is. It's hard to understand lordship in this day and age, and especially in um egocentric, humanistic United States of America. It's very difficult to to understand lordship because nobody's going to lord it over me. That's our attitude. Yesterday uh, evening, I don't know why. I don't remember what I was doing at the time because it was before Larry came in and said, I, honey, you're going to have to preach tomorrow. But I got online and looked up the Declaration of Independence and read it. I mean, I found a, a form that was printed so I didn't have to sift through all that fancy calligraphy penmanship. Uh, and I found a printed, and I don't know if I've ever, I suppose I have because we had to take tests on things like that back in the day when I was in school. And I started reading it, and, uh, you know, there's the 
opening remarks, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary, you know, all this. And then they listed all their grievances against the king, one by one. I mean, there was a whole list. I wish now I had made notes and, and wrote down how many there were, but here's why we're doing this. You know, we're, we're going to back off of your government, England, and we're going to start our own government here because you have not governed righteously. And so they listed all the unrighteous, un... Well, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, they didn't have good government. They were being taxed unfairly. They were being... I mean, it was horrible. I started reading these things and I'm thinking, good grief. What was going on back then? I mean, I wasn't a very good student of history when I was a young person. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've begun to be very intrigued by history because I found that if you don't know your history, you're going to have to repeat it. Uh, And this is true in the church, people. That's why God gave us the Old Testament. Do you realize he wrote all those happenings in the Old Testament so we could learn from those people's history and not get under all that bondage and, ah, they were, sometimes I'd read what the children of Israel did and I'm thinking, why are they so dumb? And then I look in the mirror (laughs) and I think, how did I get in this mess? It's, it's history repeating itself because we haven't learned and and when i read that declaration and if you get bored sometime you might want to go online and look that up and see what all that that king was doing to those people that were basically his people but he was abusing mistreating killing of i mean it was horrible and they just all then from every uh colony every state there were several men who signed their names. So there were 13, there were, I think, six columns of names that they wrote, at, signed at the bottom. All these people, this is us. We're the United States. We're, we are united together in this. It's not just a handful of us. We're all united in this. And, and I was reading all that and seeing the parallel of the church and seeing where we are in this nation today, even, And I'm thinking, you know where the hope of America rests is in God's people. And and that's what I really wanted to come in and say. People, two things we have to do. First, pray. Second, vote. Because if if we don't like the way things are going, we are still free here. We still have a right and a responsibility to vote. But pray first. Get the mind of God first. Vote according to the word of God. Not according to your pocketbook. Not according to your family's long-term affiliation with some political party. Not according to what even the people are saying so much on the television newscasts because they put so much spin on it that the truth has gotten lost. But guess where the truth remains? Jesus Christ said, I am the truth. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of truth. 
God's word is truth. There are principles in his word for every life situation. We, he, nothing takes God by surprise. The devil is a liar and all he does is lie. And if something is in your mind that is contrary to what God says, guess who's telling you that? It's the liar and the father of it. That's all he can do. He can't tell the truth. And so God can only tell the truth. The Bible says he cannot lie. So as the body of Christ and as the church and as his redeemed, we need to come back together in one accord, focused on him, the leader, the, the, the redeemer, the savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We sang that this morning. Oh, my goodness. Every time we sing that song, I just think, oh, what he did for me and you. The price he paid, the blood he shed, the death he died, the rejection he experienced, the pain he bore in his body, those stripes on his back, those thorns in his head. All of that, the nails, oh my, all of that was for us. And that was our pain. That was our shame. That was our rejection. That was our uh, punishment. Every bit of it was aimed at us, but he stood there and took it for us. And then when he died, he was buried and rose again victorious, saying to us and to everyone, hey, death is no longer in charge here. Fear does not reign here. I am Lord, and you're redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Say it. I'm redeemed. He bought us. He set us free to worship him. And worship is more than just standing up and going through a few songs. Worship is a lifestyle of service to the one who, and only one who deserves our worship and our um, service. I had you turn to Ephesians. It starts off in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, with uh, Paul praying for the church. And he prays a long prayer. There's a long prayer there. I'm going to tell you that prayer is so powerful. It is just so powerful. But beginning in verse 15 is where he starts. And, he, and I'm not going to spend the whole, uh, read the whole thing. I want you to, but I want you to look at verse um, 17. This is one of the things he prayed for that church and therefore for us. We're all one church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I told you to turn there a long time ago, but maybe I never gave you the chapter. Chapter 1 of Ephesians. And he says, he's praying this, that the Lord of, uh, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And, and I see that um, 
what we need to understand about that is wisdom and revelation are things that we, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We can know him. because You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and really get to know Jesus. You can read the whole thing. Don't just read a few verses. Read all the gospel and watch what he does and listen to what he says. Read those verses in red. You'll see uh, who Jesus is, that he came to reveal the Father. So you're also going to see who the Father is. And then he told us, I'm going to leave so I can send another comforter. That means somebody just like me, but he's going to be in you now. He's not just going to be walking around with you. He's going to live in you. And that was the Holy Spirit. And he came to live in us and to lead us into all truth. And he'll reveal things to us that we can't understand up here. See, we can't figure God out up here because he's not a brain. He's not a mind. He's a spirit. And there are things that God knows and things that God does that um, we'll never understand with our minds. There's a, there's a verse in Deuteronomy. I don't think I gave you that one, did I, Johnny? A verse in Deuteronomy? I don't even know if I wrote it down. But it says, the secret things belong to the Lord. And he'll reveal them to who he will. But, you know, if, if they belong to him, it's none of our business per se. Oh, there it is. The secret things that's, uh, what is that, 2929 of Deuteronomy. It says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, what has he revealed to us? A lot of stuff. He's revealed so much in Jesus, so much in the yep, the epistles, he's told us things to do, things not to do, where to go, go into all the world, preach the gospel, live the gospel, preach the gospel. Is that not our vision here, our mission here? Live the gospel, preach the gospel. If that's all he ever revealed to us, we ought to be do doing that. And once we get that down, maybe he'll show us some more. But we worry about things we can't really understand. <laughs> Go sometime if you did if you've never read through the book of Job, read those latter chapters of Job when God starts telling Job, "Where were you when I did this? And where were you? What do you know about this? And how do you know how big the world is, or how it's start? How, where it's it, Job came to realize I don't know nothing. I know nothing, and yet I know that my Redeemer lives." He knew that. Do you know that? That's enough. Got him out of that mess. He prayed for his friends. He forgave them for all of their negativism and everything. And he prayed for them. And God restored Job better than he was to begin with. He, he had everything restored to him. He didn't understand why he lost it. He never did. And this is the thing. I've heard sermons on it. I've heard lots of sermons on it. And I don't get upset with people who try to explain why Job lost all that stuff, why it happened, why did God allow this, why did God... It doesn't matter why he did. We don't have to know all the whys. We just need to know the who. We need to know Jesus. We need to know that he's alive. 
that he paid his, his very blood for our redemption. He saved us. He redeemed us. And he, in, and he infilled us with the same spirit that he operated under. The same Holy Ghost that equipped and anointed Jesus lives in you and me. And we can do the same things Jesus did. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that himself. The works that I do, he that believes in me can do them also. And even greater works. We need to be about our father's business. We need to be about our father's business. Jesus boldly told that to his mom when he was 12 years old. 12 years old! Now, most of our 12-year-olds, I don't know if they're all in here, but most of them are in here that, that are part and up, 12-year-old and older, are usually in the service. How many of you, 12-year-olds and older, that includes everybody in here, can say, I must be about my father's business? How many of you even know what your father's business is so you can be about it? No, I'm so worried because I don't understand why my great-grandma died. She was such a good woman. She was 90-some years old, and she was due for her reward. <laughs> yeah, okay, but what about, that, what about that baby that died? Why did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. The hidden things belong to the Lord. But this I know. My Redeemer lives and he's good. And he's got a heavenly reward for us. And, and our, our loved ones, if they knew the Lord, if they die, if the, our babies, our children die in our household of faith, we'll be re reunited in some way in heaven. You know what? Heaven's going to be so different from here. We can't really even comprehend that. And so why do we worry, stew, and fret over things that we don't need to understand in the here and now? What we need to understand is there are people all around us going to hell because nobody has told them about Jesus. Nobody has lived the life of Christ before them in such a manner that they want what we have. What do you have in your life? That would make someone jealous. Paul talked to the, the Gentiles and told them that God redeemed them to make the Jews jealous. <laughs> so, so, so the Jews would look at them and say, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe we need to follow this, this Christianity, this church movement. They saw it as a, as a rejection of God. But it wasn't. It was just a rejection of all the silly nonsense that the Jews had had came up with rules and regulations and religious activities that they said made them God's favorite. No. God's favorite is Jesus. You want to be one of God's favorite? Get into Jesus. Get into Christ. Get born again. And, and what he did at Calvary was this. He made, this is one of God's mysteries. I talked last time I preached about praying out the mysteries. 
One of the biggest mysteries of all was the church. In the Old Testament, there was no church. There was Israel. But God had always had a plan of this one man, one new man. He had, in the Old Testament, there were two groups of people. There was Israel and the nations, everybody else. We call them the Gentiles, but I call them the nations, okay? Israel was the, the group that God singled out because he had to have something to work with to get Jesus into the earth. So he chose Abraham, and through his line came Israel, and Jesus was born into that tribe, if you will, and came. But he came for a purpose. He came to redeem mankind, all of mankind. Somehow, in the years that, that transpired, Israel got the idea that only Israel was going to be saved because God chose them. And they are God's chosen. He chose them for a purpose. But the purpose was for this one new man to come about. We have Israel. We have the nations. God's plan was the church. Anybody out of Israel, anybody out of the nation, whosoever out of any of those, either of those, can come into the church. Whosoever will may come into Jesus. And once you're in him, now you're a, a different beast being. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something that never existed before. Before we had Israel and the nations. But when you get in Christ, you're the new man. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's called the church. And Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against the church. This is deep truth, people. But it's so simple. It's for all of us. Every single one of us has that door of opportunity that was opened at the cross. Actually, it was opened when the tomb opened on Easter and Jesus came forth, and that new man that resurrected Jesus. And he put the church in action on the, on the day of Pentecost. That's when it began. There were, there were mostly Jews at the first, but then he made it clear to them, it's not just about Israel, it's about the world. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. We can and should be standing against all the wiles of the enemy. Our enemy is not the Republicans and the Democrats, or it's not China or Russia or whoever happens to be the hot button this week. It, our enemy is not people. It is not people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We just don't. It's about the spirit realm. We are spirit beings created in the image and likeness of God. We can know and believe God because he revealed himself to us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave us free access to the kingdom of God. 
We're kingdom residents. When you become born again, you are now a resident of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's your citizenship. And everything you do should reflect the kingdom you're from. Either that or you're just not a very good ambassador. And we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. Prayer is where we go to get our marching orders. We, we get in communion with God. Begin by praising him, honoring him, worshiping him. Put on some praise music in your prayer time or while you're working at home. You know, don't always have that crazy box on that's got the pictures of all the ugly stuff in the world. Um, turn on a, a tape or a CD or a um, video even of praise and worship and just have that in the background in your house. Create an atmosphere of joy. Create that. And when your joy level rises, that comes from being in his presence. In his presence is fullness of joy. You need to have joy in your life regardless of what else is going on around you. You can have joy in the midst of anything. And you need to know that before you get into something. Because you will get into something. Something will come against you. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say, now, you know what? If you stay over here real close to me, no tribulation will come. He didn't tell us that. He told us just the opposite. So when you start hearing those people, whoever they are, that say, now, you know, if you get to be a Christian, then you're just going to be nice all the time and everybody's going to be nice to you and there's never going to be a problem. Or No, that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus said. We will have tribulation, but he said, be of good cheer. That's the same thing as joy. Can't keep your joy because I've overcome the world. So put your confidence in his overcoming, not in your flesh. It's what he did that gives us the joy, the strength, the, the power to stand against all the wiles of the enemy. And in, in Ephesians chapter 6, where we read about the uh, armor of, of God, or the pray, I call it the prayer armor, chapter 6, it lists all the parts, starting, I think, in chapter 10, in verse 10. Mm -hmm. No. Somehow my, um, my Bible went to notes instead of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. <laughs> I love it when it works. <laughs> okay. Ephesians 6, and starting with verse 10. We'll start there. Um, I'm in New King James now, but it doesn't matter. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's who we wrestle against. Principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
we have, first of all, we have to see ourselves farther above than those spiritual things, those wicked things. We're seated, that means in a position of authority, in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. He's seated there in a position of authority. It's called Lord. And we're seated with him as his uh, rulers, his governors, if you will, whatever. We're seated in that same heavenly realm in the spirit. You got to see yourself there. You got to find yourself there. You got to rule and reign from there. Because all this other stuff is, has to be beneath us. And we have to see that. We have to know that. Because the Bible tells us that. You don't have to understand it. You have to know it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. We, church, we, body of Christ, we, new creation, one man, in him, will stand and we'll be the last man standing. We can stand in victory. We can return to Zion, the place where there's the Holy Ghost and joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And we can rejoice in our redemption because he already took care of the enemy. We just have to walk out the victory. Walk it out so people can see. When people see you, they shouldn't see depression, rejection, fear, uh, toils and troubles and tribulations. They should see somebody who's standing against all that. And they should wonder. Because they know you're going through a trial. How come they still smile? They know your body hurts. How come you... We were, when we were in Branson last week, we went out to eat with some friends of ours from the church we attend down there. We went out for lunch one day. And more than once, the lady said to Larry, I don't understand how you can be so happy all the time. How can you, how can you have this, counten this countenance about you? She kept asking him that. Well, this is the person we go to church with. <laughs> and I wanted to, and you know, he, he said, well, it's just Jesus. You know, I mean, it's, it is just Jesus. I mean, but, but they know the battles he's fought. They know the bones that have been broken, one after the other after the other, because the devil doesn't like godly people. He wants to destroy godly people. He wants to take your joy away from you. And he keeps maintaining his joy level, and people see it. And they can't understand it. They obviously don't have a clear understanding that we are redeemed. And you don't even have to say, well, I'm redeemed. Just smile. It'll get most of them going. How can you be happy? I know you're hurting. It's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. We need to stir up our joy. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not our strength. Not horses and chariots and weapons. That's not the kind of weapons this armor talked about. It talks about the, girt, the, way, the waist girt about with truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Notice the very first thing he mentions though is that belt of truth. That's the foundation. All the tools and weapons that the soldier carried were connected somehow to that belt except for the 
shield. Stand, therefore, having, your, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith <clears throat> with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. That salvation, that redemption will protect your mind from all those thoughts and weird things <laughs> that the world throws at you and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And he goes on. But praying is where we wear that armor. And if we pray without ceasing, we ought to have our armor on all the time. We ought to be aware of our, of our salvation and our righteousness, which all of this is in Christ Jesus, that one man that's going to be the last man standing. Why don't you stand with me now? I know this. I know we can know God and we can believe God even if we don't fully understand everything about God. What we do know, we need to act on. What we do know, we need to live in. What we do know, we need to tell others about. And the things we don't understand, we can leave them with him. And when the time comes, he'll tell us. And we need to rejoice. Rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Because as we rejoice, we're strengthened, we're encouraged, and as it said over there in Isaiah 51, sorrow and mourning, all that negative stuff, will flee away. It'll go. If you'll stir up the joy, if you'll rejoice, if you'll be a person that allows the joy of the Lord to be your strength, rejoicing in your salvation, rejoicing in the good things that he's done for us and through us, all this other stuff will have to go by the wayside. We don't have to have guilt, depression, shame, rejection. We don't even have to have pain and sickness. We don't have to have loneliness. A lot of things that the devil tells us about ourselves, we don't have to have those. You need to recognize those as lies. And the best way to quench a lie is to know the truth. What did Jesus say about the truth? <laughs> the truth will make you free. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.